Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Music and Spinner.com, where you can get free MP3s, exclusive interviews, and more. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 223 for November 19th, 2009. The Trouble with SSL. Security Now is brought to you by the new voice-activated sync, featuring hands-free calling, music search, and turn-by-turn navigation. Available exclusively on Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. For more information and to enter to win a free Nano or Zune, visit SyncMyRidePodcast.com. And by GoToMeeting. Business travel can kill your company's profits, so do more, save more, and travel less with GoToMeeting. For your free 30-day trial, visit gotomeeting.com slash security now. And by Carbonite, the leader in online backup. Back up your PC or Mac off-site securely and automatically. For a free trial offer plus two free months with purchase, go to carbonite.com, offer code TWIT. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers security in uh, great detail, sometimes excessively geeky detail, and that's because this guy's a geek, <laughs> Mr. Steve Gibson of GRC.com, and that's why we love him, because unlike the others, on this show, you learn how it works. The- Can you have too much detail? Uh, no. No, I you don't. can't. Not for our audience. Well, Not that's for the these point. guys. That's exactly the point. These guys yeah. love that stuff. Hello, Steve. How are you? Leo, it's great to be with you again, as always. You have a uh, good week, I hope. Had a great week, and we have a great episode. This one, this is just classic, perfect security now. It's techie, it's relevant, it's important, it's it's a real problem. The industry has been secretly scurrying around and meeting and trying to figure out what to do about it. Um, The good news is there's something that can be done about it, but... I mean, it incorporates all aspects of the sort of the security world that we've been talking about for more than four years. So uh, this is the recently discovered problem in SSL, which turns out to allow bad guys to insert their own badness into connections that everybody at each end thinks is secure, but it's not. That's 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 pretty serious. It's bad. That's pretty serious. It's not good. Hey, before we get to that, and I know you probably have some errata and security news to cover as well. Yep. I want to remind people that your show is nominated in the podcast awards, and they have till November 30th to vote. So you're kind of, you're kind of down to the end now. Uh, in the technology section, am I right? Yes, the technology section. Um, although, I mean, we really need, do need to make a determination here, Leo, you and I. I'm and- going to let people vote their conscience. <laughs> okay <laughs> vote for your favorite well the reason you're saying this i know is because there are two twitch shows nominated right security now and floss weekly and by the way there are other excellent shows also nominated like skepticality which is re- really great the naked scientist wana.tv so there are, are plenty no, of if they're, if they're not on the twit network forget about it <laughs> no 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 that would be really interesting it would be great if if the listeners to this podcast really did vote for their favorite podcast, this one yeah. or Floss, I'd love to know. Yeah. I'd be that would make the number more more useful and interesting than just you know, 
overwhelmingly, okay, we told everybody to please click this button. Yeah, which, we don't want to. We don't want to lobby. No. We just, you know, and you. Ha- and by the way, you won this category. I think last year. It was you, year before last. Year before I, last. Yeah, you've won it a couple of times. I think it was the first year. First year you won. Yeah. Uh, you won again the year before last. It's not like it's not like I've at won this twice. point. At this point, it's emeritus. You're, <laughs> you know, you, so. Uh, but we do want people to vote. The old man on the hill is still up there on the hill. <laughs> exactly. We do want people to vote, a bit, mostly because it's a great way of bringing awareness to podcasts. And uh, vote for your favorite podcast, whatever it is, at podcastawards.com. You'll have to November 30th. You can vote every day. <laughs> Which You which, can? Yeah. It's not one per person? No. You can vote every oh, day. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so <laughs> stuff the ballot box. Be my guest. Actually, that's one way you could solve this. You could vote for Steve one day, Randall the other day, and you know, mix it up. I they're all my children. I'm not going to select. Just vote your vote your favorite. You like all your children equally. I I love you all that's, deeply. That's important. <laughs> Dad. Hey, I do want to mention also go to meeting and then we're going to get to our security news. Our great friends at Citrix do the simply the best remote access software that's out there. No wonder uh, they've been doing it for years. And in fact, uh, you know, many people use Citrix server, use Citrix remote access in corporations and business. Uh, but they also have a product based on the same brilliant technology, but designed for the normal person to make it easy to use called GoToMeeting. That's got to be easy to use because if, you know, frankly, if you're trying to pitch somebody on a product or a service, you can't make them jump through hoops to meet with you. That, you know, they're, they're not going to appreciate that. I think that's safe to say. GoToMeeting is very simple to set up, both on your end and theirs. In fact, they don't have to set it up at all. Here's what happens. You go to GoToMeeting.com right now. GoToMeeting.com slash security now, as a matter of fact, uh, because then they'll know that you heard it on this show. And uh, install it. You get a 30-day free trial, by the way, so there's no risk involved in doing this. Install it. That'll take a minute. You'll be done before I'm done, probably. And then invite somebody to a meeting. Now, you can do it either via email or you can do it uh, just by like being on a conference call with them and saying, hey, I'd like to show you the PowerPoint or I'd, I'like to work together with you on this document or maybe I can show you how to use this program we're talking about, that kind of thing. Go And here's what you say to them. Go to gotomeeting.com. Okay, you're there. All right, go on your browser. Press join a meeting. Got that? It's a big button. It's easy to find. Now, here's the meeting ID. They enter in that, I think it's nine-digit number. That's it. Software, uh, they do a little, a little stub gets installed in their system, but it happens very, very quickly. And now they're seeing your screen on their desktop. And you say, now, see, this is what I was talking about here. It's just fantastic. Go to meeting. It's easy to use. It's secure. Well, it's SSL encrypted. We'll find out how secure that is in a minute. Uh, and it's only $48, pardon me, $49 a month for as many meetings as you want, as long as you want. And that includes free teleconferencing and voice over the Internet. Very professional-looking it really impresses people, and it just works. Go to meeting.com slash security now. We thank them so much for the support of the Security Now program. We encourage you to uh, to give it a try. So uh, what do you want to do first, news or errata, Mr. Gibb? News. We've got some security news, okay. um, not surprisingly. Um, one of the one of the bad, the, the, <laughs> I was going to say the, the baddest, one, one of the worst problems that Microsoft patched last week Tuesday, last week, the second Tuesday of November, is heavily expected by the, by the security community to be exploited very soon, hmm. if, it's not even, if, if it's not already being done. So 
I wanted to further encourage. I know that so, so, you know the fact that Microsoft's patches typically require you to reboot your machine. I know that I've been in a position where I've got so many things open and set just the way I like, and in, I'm in like the middle of things that rebooting the system right then is a problem. But there's this problem with the embedded open type fonts, EOT fonts, which, well, there's a couple lessons here. It's a font parsing bug, which is, allows remote code execution. The problem is that it's a kernel bug. Ooh. So it's an overflow that occurs in the kernel. Well, since these EOT files can be compressed and encrypted by their spec, their spec supports encryption, that makes it extra difficult for antiviral software to see what's going on because it's an encrypted payload. And so that's expected to, to thwart AV. And so it will be systems which simply load a page. This is the other reason it's expected to be a big deal is that the, it's the classic drive-by problem where you just get some, you get some text on a website and it can take over your machine. Interestingly, because this is a kernel-level problem, Vista's IE7 and IE8 sandboxes, which are designed to protect the system, offer no protection for this exploit. And, again, because it's a font-rendering problem from in the kernel, this is not helped by disabling JavaScript. So even, if, even turning JavaScript off will not help. So the thing that I find annoying is that fonts are being rendered in the kernel. There's something fundamentally yeah. broken yeah. about that. And and we know where this happened and we know when because the I mean the the idea is the kernel is your holy sacrosanct, you know, it's, it's the kernel. I mean it's the OS. It's it, you want to keep application sorts of things out of it. It provides core services. It handles um, the abstraction of your I.O. so that various apps can vie for the, the peripherals and, and, and the kernel manages that. It typically uh, abstracts the file system so that applications are able to talk to, you know, NTFS or FAT files in, in, a, in a uniform fashion. It handles memory management so that applications are, are able to request memory resources which the, the kernel juggles. If it runs out of RAM, the kernel swaps things out that, that are not being used and, and brings new empty memory in from swap space. I mean, all those really low-level things. Well, at one point, Microsoft, hopefully, before they got the security religion, um, I mean, because you wouldn't ever want them to do this after they were concerned about security because it completely breaks security. Microsoft said, well... We need, we want faster display performance, so we're going to move GDI, the graphics device interface, from user space, where it had always been, into the kernel in order to, in order to minimize the user to kernel transitions because it's expensive to cross between user space and kernel space. So they said, well, let's move GDI that, you know, this complex um, rendering code, which includes the whole font system, down into the kernel. Because won't that be a good idea? <clears throat> yeah. Oh, boy. And as a consequence, this is what you get. You get, you know, 
more complexity, you get little mistakes, but rather than it being a mistake in user space that, 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 that just causes a much more limited problem, now it's a mistake down in, you know, God central of the computer. I mean, this is where everything happens. And as we've seen, for example, with rootkits, I mean, the, the reason rootkits are such a problem is that they're down in the kernel able to literally do things like hide files from the directory system so you can't see them and AV systems can't see them. So anyway, I wanted to encourage people. I wanted you to, I wanted to further explain this particular vulnerability, which was fixed last week, and just make sure and also explain or, or reinforce how trivial it will be for this to be exploited. Um, again, it's in the public domain now what this problem is, how to exploit it, how it can be used. It will be anyone who touches a website whose whose Windows system renders fonts on a website that hasn't patched this can get their machines at the kernel level taken over. Now, Microsoft, to their credit, has done some things in Vista and later like address space layout randomization, ASLR, where the chunks of the kernel are are located in sort of semi-random locations, making kernel-level exploits more tricky. But there's we, there's lots of instances where where even address space layout randomization can be um, can be worked around. So um, if you haven't by any means yet rebooted your machine with last week's patches um delay only as little as possible because um this is a bad guy that's really too bad also in news following from last week and you probably already have have heard of this leo the jailbroken iphone problem that we discussed has not surprisingly escalated we're no longer changing wallpaper to some random singer from the past we're now stealing phone data, including contacts, music, photos, email, text messages, and pretty much everything. There are, there are two known and more expected current worms that are sucking personal content off of iPhones that have been jailbroken where their SSH server password has not been changed. Remember from last week, we discussed this, that... The problem is that jailbreaking installs an SSH server and it has a default password that everyone knows. If you jailbreak your phone and don't change that password, then your phone literally can be contacted over the Internet. Just like you were running a little web server. In this case, it's an SSH server. Someone can log on to your phone and do pretty much what they want. The original problem which was a worm constrained to australia was just changing wallpaper not surprisingly that quickly escalated uh into much more damaging attacks so um if you do have a jailbreak and broken phone do make sure you change that ssh password because uh, it's getting bad quickly um there is a recently acknowledged by microsoft zero day problem with Windows 7 and Server 2008 Release 2. 
Um, this is another problem with server message blocks, the SMB protocol. Microsoft is suggesting people block ports uh, 139 and 445, which are is the you know the Windows file sharing and and uh, file and printer sharing ports, which is used for the SMB protocol and all other kinds of things. Um, they've acknowledged this problem. Um, exploit code has been posted in blogs on the internet, so people are aware of it. Most people are not going to have those ports exposed. They're, they're by, as one of our Q&As from last week asked, if I'm behind I'm a router and I'm using XP, aren't I behind two firewalls? It's like, yes. So unsolicited packets are not coming in from outside. However, there are some exploits involving, not surprisingly, web browsers, where you go to a web page, the page you receive contains a specially formatted URL, which can cause your machine to reach out to a malicious SMB server. In that case, blocking your ports isn't going to help you because you're initiating an outbound connection to a hostile SMB server. All it needs to do is send back some some bad data. Now, the good news is the if this happens, the only consequence is that you need to pull the plug on your machine. It completely locks it up. It, it puts it into an infinite loop in the kernel. The machine won't respond to anything. Keystrokes, mouse movements, nothing. You cannot shut your machine off. You just have to. It, even the power button apparently doesn't work. You literally have to pull the plug out of the back in order, and then wait, you know, count to five and, and plug it back in, in in order to get control of your machine again. So mm. it's just a denial of service attack, but it's something that Microsoft, I'm sure, well, hopefully they will patch it uh, for in during Patch Wednesday because the fact that this happens on server 2008 is a problem. You don't want, you know, a main corporate server to get locked up. I mean, it, it completely shuts it down. It's a complete kernel-level denial of service. Um, it would be necessary to somehow trick the server to going to a malicious SMB server, but we know that hackers are clever. I wouldn't be at all surprised if if this ends up happening. Those nasty boys. Now, I did want to uh, follow up a little bit on our port knocking uh, uh, discussion from last week also because I forgot about one other reason that I don't like port knocking. I talked about how the, the, the problem is with, with, with port knocking, you have multiple packets arriving at a given firewall, for example, where they, they just die because they're not admitted. But the fact of their arrival at a particular port in a particular sequence is like the secret combination. Um, one of the problems that, that, was, that we talked about was that, so it's sure, anyone who is listening to your conversation could replicate the knocking sequence. Um, and then that, that's what led me into a discussion of ways you could cleverly implement essentially a one-time authentication style system that would prevent that i forgot one of the other big problems with it and that is it's extremely susceptible to a denial of service that is not a flood but but technically a denial of service where that is to say a denial of knocking sequence (laughs) if anybody else knew that this was what you were doing. For example, if a corporation were depending upon this, or if you were, for some reason, a high-value target, or high-value to just 
even one random person. All they have to do is send random packets at your IP address and, you know, every so often. And that will look like, a, you know, failed knocking sequence packets and cause the, the, the software, which is looking for the proper sequence, to constantly think, oh, look, there's somebody trying to get in and we're not going to let them. Well, the problem is if at the same time a valid person is sending the proper knocking sequence, their packets will be intermixed with the, the, the ones deliberately designed to screw up that knocking sequence and you'll never get in. So it would, it would deny someone access to the service that they're, they're trying to use to get in just by, you know, spraying some, some, some deliberately wrong packets every so often. Mm. So there's, you know, lots not to like about it. It's, you know, I mean, it's sort of a poor man's clever way of getting in, but um, it's, it's certainly far from optimal. And I have an, uh, <laughs> since we seem to be on the uh, theme of pirated Spinrite uh, software in the last, <laughs> last few week, weeks, yeah, yeah, I have another confession from a, a guy named Troy Starkey <laughs> who said, Hi, Mr. GRC. He sent this to, our, to the sales email address, and his subject of his email was, I wish to thank you for your software. He said, Hi, Mr. GRC. Firstly, let me commend you on your fantastic software. Of course, he says this after he purchased it, but, but actually he thought it was fantastic beforehand. He says, it has repaired a few of my drives in the past, so I truly wanted to show my appreciation by finally purchasing your great software. I regret to admit that when my first drive went on the Fritz, he has Fritz in quotes. I don't think that's this drive's name. I think Fritz. That's, that's, yeah. where, that's where the drive went. When drive went on Fritz. It went on the Fritz. <laughs> yeah. I went searching the internet desperately trying to get it fixed as I had a lot of digital photos on it and I came across a copy of Spinrite 6 registered to someone else. Oh, boy. To my amazement, Spinrite worked perfectly and I was able to save all of my data. At that stage... I was under a lot of financial pressure and could not afford to purchase your software. But I vowed to buy it when I was on my feet financially. Well, I'm on my feet now. And I offer you my support for a fantastic product that saved my irreplaceable photographs. So please accept my my sincere apologies. I certainly do. He says, I feel horrible that I used that copy, but I have always supported products that I use. And now I can add you to my list of great software. Let's hope I don't need to use it in an emergency again. I do have a word of advice for people who try to use Spinrite on the dreaded clicking hard drives. The ones that sound like the heads are trying to bash their way out of the hard drive enclosure. Which makes it sound a little dramatic, but you know. That's we've an talked apt about, description. Yeah. We've talked yeah. about clicking hard drives before. Yeah. And he said, and won't be detected even in the BIOS. Place your clicking hard drive in an anti-static bag and place the drive in your deep freezer. I left mine in for about 60 minutes. Then remove from the freezer and the anti-static bag and tightly wrap it in a towel or similar absorbent cloth. That's to prevent moisture from from condensing on it. Right. He says, quickly attach it to your PC and power it up whilst everything is still frozen. Drive worked well enough 
for me to then correct it with Spinrite 6 oh, and transferred the data to a healthy drive. Kind regards, Troy Starkey. You know, I've heard this, and I know you have too. Oh, yeah, that's the, 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 the refrigerator it. trick is a, is a that, great standby. Doesn't the drive immediately heat up? I mean, come on. It, well, it gets hot very quickly, but all, see, but that, that initial, that, that initial clicking is the drive trying to initialize itself and, and get out onto the surface and find some servo data. So all you really need to do is to kind of give it a little bit of a help over that first hump ah. to get itself going. Okay. And once it's going, then you, you're often able to stay out there over the disk surfaces, the drives initialize, the bio sees it, Spinrite can see it, and you're off to the races. Got it. I see. So it's really just that first first thing that you yep. want to go. Okay. Exactly. Well, that makes a lot of sense. All right. We are. right. I'm very interested in this subject. Oh, I, it's really a good one. Uh, we all have kind of a little bit of a vested interest since SSL is, is the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, just a little. The technology that secures, you know, all secure web uh, interactions on um, e-commerce sites and so forth. So we're going to find out about that in just a second. I do want to mention before we get into it, uh, get into the depths of this, uh, welcome, first of all, Ford to the show. Ford is a, a sponsor now on the whole network uh, because Ford Sync is in their cars. All Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury automobiles. I, I shouldn't say all. I suppose you could buy one without it. But if you buy a new car, make sure if you buy a new Ford, Lincoln, or Mercury, you get the Ford Sync. This is the best I've ever used. You can find out more about it, actually, by going to SyncMyRidePodcast.com. SyncMyRidePodcast.com. And while you're there, you'll notice you can enter in a contest to win one of 15 Zunes and 15 Nanos they're giving away, one every day. You get to choose, kind of to underscore the fact that Sync works with either an iPod or Zune. Actually, it works with anything. It works with my Droid. If The reason is the car has uh, a USB port on it so if you have a usb cable that works or even if you had a thumb drive or a usb drive you plug it into the port sync indexes the contents of the drive and if it's uh, mp3s i can't remember all the file formats it reads wma mp3s uh it will and they have they're properly tagged with the title and the artist now it knows what's on there you can use uh the ford voice activated sync to pick a song so you could say, play the Beatles, it'll play. You could say, play security now, it will play. I'm in the middle of a, uh, a, a Larry Niven and uh, Jerry Pornell audiobook. And uh, when I get in the car and I want to pick up the audiobook, I, I press the button on the wheel. I don't have to look away from the road. That's very important for safety. Uh, it, it goes, dunk, and I say, audio, dunk, sync. And then I say, play Dante's Inferno. Or I'm sorry, is that what it's called? Lucifer's inferno i'm sorry lucifer's hammer <laughs> if i play dante's inferno i'll get something else if i say <laughs> there's by the way the ford sync will not take care of human error i'm sorry if you say the wrong title it will play the wrong title if you say play lucifer's hammer it plays it it picks up where i left off uh you can do a lot more than that though you can also ask for directions it'll give you turn by turn directions it's got a gps in the ford sync uh, you could say, call Steve Gibson at home, call Steve Gibson on the on the cell phone. You can say, read me a text message on, on uh, compatible phones. It has a 411 business search. I like the vehicle health report. I can go on and on. I, this thing is, it's like, it's like Knight Rider. It's like you're talking to your car, and it responds, and it understands, and it's fantastic. 
And I don't have to look away from the road. I keep my hands on the wheel because I just press that button, and it keeps up with my ADD. <laughs> when I get bored with something, man, I can, I can, I can switch. I could say, play security now. I could say, call Dane. In fact, I've done this. I could say, play the New York Times front page. It even has sports scores, weather reports, and more. This is an amazing product. You've got to try it. Go to your Ford, Lincoln, or Mercury dealer and say, I just want to see the sync. And make sure you tweet to win. So you can either go to syncmyridepodcast.com to find out more, or it's very simple. I could tell you the rules. It just takes a couple of seconds. Just tweet. Say, hey, I'm listening to Steve and Leo on Security Now. Love the show. Pound Sync My Ride Podcast. Just, just add that hashtag, Sync My Ride Podcast. And when, you're, when you do that in the tweet, they, they, that basically enters you in to win. You get that free Nano or Zoom, your choice. It works with everything. But wouldn't it be nice to win a little prize? Pound Sync My Ride Podcast or visit SyncMyRidePodcast.com. We'll be talking more about Ford Sync. In fact, I think next week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the car out and get some video so you can actually, because it, until you see this work, it's one of those things every once in a while something comes along that demos really well. Like, you, you know, when you do it, people go, ooh, wow. I take people for a ride in the car and I say, watch this. Play the Beatles. She loves you, yeah. I mean, it's so cool. SyncMyRidePodcast.com. We thank them for their support of security now. So is this going to be one of those propeller uh, episodes, Steve? Where Kind of. Not, not, it's not going to hurt people. And I don't, I don't think it will require multiple listens. Um, it's, it's, it's up there. But I, it's, it's going to be good. Um, okay, so while I was rereading some of the from of the RFCs that specify the way SSL and TLS operate i i appreciated yet again how so excruciatingly careful the specifications are and, and how well and carefully they were written so those people who were involved in putting it together are they must given that it's so clear how careful they were they must be thinking ooh crap <laughs> <laughs> we worked so hard we were so careful yeah. and we missed one little thing so it's the nature of uh, that they missed something Yes, and I'm going to explain what they missed. Everyone's going to get it, and we'll talk about the consequences and how that's leveraged and ultimately what it's going to mean. It does mean a revision of of TLS, um, the transport layer security. It's got to be changed in order to fix this, and there's really no workaround. So, okay, a little bit of review of the way... SSL and TLS hook up to each other. When the client wants to initiate a connection to the server, it establishes a, a TCP connection, and then the first packet it sends is it's called a client hello packet. That packet contains the, the highest protocol version that it supports, a blob of randomness that it has made up for itself, a session ID, a list of the ciphers, that is the, the cryptographic ciphers that it is equipped to use, which it's offering to the server, um, the compression method 
that it proposes to use. The server receives that client hello packet containing all that, and it responds with its server hello, which contains a proper subset of some of those things. It, it, can, it knows what protocol version the client has offered as the best it can do. It knows what protocol version it has as the best it can do. So it chooses the highest that they can both do. So it sort of negotiates the best, the, the latest protocol that they both are aware of in terms of number. And so, for example, we're currently at TLS version 1.2. I imagine we'll be at 1.3 before long. And so everyone will, you know, both ends will breathe a sigh of relief when they, when they exchange, oh, you know, 1.3. Oh, thank goodness. Cause I do too. And now we can, you know, solve, we don't have to worry about this, this new problem that we have. So they, they agree upon the latest revision that they both are aware of. The server generates its own chunk of randomness, which it sends back along with the session ID that it confirms that it received from the client and the client remember sent all its list of ciphers um, of cryptographic ciphers that it knows the server looks at those and and weeds out any that it doesn't know about so it sends them, them all back so basically it says okay of the it says to the client of those you sent me these are the ones i also know about so Choose from among those. Um, and it, it agrees on a, a compression method if the client wanted that. It also sends its certificate, which is the server's assertion that, hey, you've connected to whatever, paypal.com, amazon.com, ebay.com, over a secure connection. Here's my certificate, which I'm using to prove that you that your connection has not been spoofed and that I really am Amazon eBay PayPal whatever so the um, the client then um, takes the 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 agreed upon cipher set chooses a cipher from it which it now knows that they both understand uh, it it operates at the protocol version that the server has returned, which it knows that they both understand. It takes the randomness that it generated, the randomness that the server provided, and it then does a, a, a key negotiation. Basically, in that certificate, we and the certificate is signed, so it will take a look at the list of certificate authorities that it has, see that it was signed by one, uh, by a certificate authority that it that it has in its list of, of verified valid authorities. And the certificate contains the server's public key. So it will it will encrypt the 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 data composed from the randomness that they both have using the server's public key and send that back with when what's called a client key exchange packet. Um, and so what that's doing is that's saying, okay, here's what I'm, here's the, the master key for the set for this session that I'm proposing. Since, since it encrypted it with the server's public key, 
only if the server contains the matching private key will the server be able to decrypt that in order to get the same data that the client has. So nobody listening in the middle is able to do that. They won't have the server's private key because the server guards that with everything it's got. And the fact that the server can decrypt it proves to the client that it has the private key matching the certificate. Otherwise, for example, anybody could 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 record the certificate during a connection to a, a, a secure site and then play back that certificate pretending to be that site. But but the certificate does not contain the private key. It contains a public key. So that wouldn't help somebody who is trying to spoof the site. So, you know, so basically that's the way this all works. Then the next packet is, is a, what's called the change cipher spec packet, which is the client saying, I've given you everything you need. Now I'm going to switch to secure mode using the ciphers that we've agreed on so it sends the the change this change cipher spec packet and that is the last packet sent in the clear it then sends using the agreed upon encryption it sends a finished message which said which is the which ends the handshaking which which is um it, the, the, it contains the master secret um encrypted under the cipher a um and then a ha- and a hash of all the preceding handshake messages so all of their conversation up to that point is hashed all of that is encrypted under the current encryption and that's sent to the other end so what's significant here is that until that cipher change spec message Everything is in the clear. That is, it's it it's you don't bring up the cone of silence on this dialogue until this change cipher spec message goes in each direction. The server does the same thing. It also sends a a change cipher spec change cipher spec message to the client saying, "Okay, here we go. You're now you're, the next thing you're going to receive from me is the finished message." encrypted from my end proving that i have everything that we've each received so so this is a a very nice lockstep approach for for agreeing on protocols agreeing on on ciphers agreeing on session id compression um proving to each other that we've got that we've each got we've made up randomness and we've exchanged it and we're all on the same page and then, then switching into encrypted mode. So the guys that designed it, designed it very, very carefully. Now, it is possible for either end to request renegotiation. For, for, and this could happen for various reasons. Um, for example, it might be that you that the client is at a public website, you know, xyzcorp.com, and they're browsing through some publicly available pages, but that this client is an employee of xyzcorp.com, 
and wants to go into a a specially protected, extra secure region of the xyzcorp.com site. So they browse there, and when they go to a certain directory, the web server says, whoa, wait a minute, that's going to require more security. You, you, you need to have a client certificate, which would have been issued by the XYZ Corp IT staff. But at this point, even though they had a secure connection, the server had offered its certificate as it always does. But the client had never been asked to present a, 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 a certificate because up until then, it was an anonymous client. It could be, it might be a non-employee, it might be anybody. So the point is that during a negotiate an already negotiated secure connection, there are situations which can arise that can require a renegotiation of of the the security context for for a number of reasons. One, for example, in this case, might be that the server says, "Okay, if you want to see this page." We need more credentials from you. We need additional authentication. So what can happen is that upon attempting to connect to that special page, the server is able to send a hello request message to the client, basically saying, hey, we're going to start over again here. I want you to run, you know, send me a new hello message just as if we were just connecting and Let's do this again because this time when I send my certificate, I'm also going to send the server's thinking to itself a certificate request which, which requires that the client return a certificate with its next set, set of packets which otherwise wouldn't be required. So, that, so that's a way of the server saying, okay – we, we got to up the ante here on authentication. So this notion of renegotiating the security context of an already established SSL connection has been around for quite a while. That's not big news. The, now, the reason the developers of this protocol weren't concerned about a security problem with renegotiating is that this hello request and the 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 follow-on exchange of of hello messages would all be contained in the secure tunnel that is those 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 messages this the all all of this renegotiation it would all be performed in a secure context that is with the previously negotiated security which wouldn't be upgraded until once again that change cipher spec message was sent and then the finished message was sent for each side to end their handshaking um relationship that the the essentially to end the whole negotiation so so the so the developers said hey you know that's fine because we can have a renegotiation anytime because it will always be under the existing security context. So, and, and, and the protocol makes sure that no man in the middle can 
mess with this. So what happened in the last couple of weeks is that um, some very clever hackers thought about this some more and figured out a way around it. Within, oh, isn't that yeah, nice? Yeah, it's extremely cool. So here's how it works. First of all, we need to, I, I need to make sure people understand that man-in-the-middle insertion is truly trivial. I mean, it's, it's the reason that many of our listeners have reconfigured their wireless networks in a Y configuration with routers. Because unless you do that, um, if, you want to op- if you want to offer open Wi-Fi... Um, in in like in one of you want you want to like have 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 an open Wi-Fi and an encrypted Wi-Fi like open for guests or even for neighbors. The problem is that that exposes your entire network to man in the middle attacks, and and we know that that comes from playing games with the ARP system, the the address resolution protocol. Remember that the the reason there's this awkwardness, this, this ability. For a bad guy to insert themselves into a conversation, which is what we mean by man in the middle. Not somebody just eavesdropping passively, but somebody who is arranged to receive, sort of to have the traffic flowing through them so that it's subject to their, not only their observation, but their modification and addition and subtraction of packets. The reason we get into this is that the, the, Ethernet LAN is based on MAC addresses, yet the Internet protocol is based on IP addresses. So there needs to be a mapping uh, made between which LAN MAC adapters are have been assigned which IP addresses. So that's what the ARP table is. It's a, just a table of simple associations. This IP address is this MAC address. That IP address is that MAC address. And so when, it, when a computer initially powers up onto a local area network, it sends out a broadcast packet that says, hey, I'm configured so that, the, that my gateway is this IP. Who's got, you know, who is that? So it says, what adapter has that IP? And the, the adapter listening for such broadcasts and all, LAN, all Ethernet LAN adapters listen for broadcasts like that, check to see if, they, if that's one of the IPs that they've been assigned. And if so, they go, hey, um, I'm that IP. Here's my MAC address. And so, so that creates an entry in this newly booted computer's ARP table so that it knows how to address packets to the gateway. And and similarly, as machines come on the LAN, they send out broadcasts. They also can listen to other broadcasts just to learn about other adapters sort of as, as a side effect of being on the LAN. So it turns out that because of because this association between IPs and MAC adapters is dynamic and can be changing they these things also expire you might if you don't get a response a couple times then the the computer will say oh okay maybe the ip address changed or the, or the, or the the adapter changed so it'll it'll sort of try to renew the arp table as a consequence of this 
There's lots of opportunity for mischief. And what, what layer does this happen as? Is this is this uh, at the Ethernet layer? Or is this T- this is a TCP/IP issue? Um, well, it's it's it, it's actually at the at the Ethernet LAN layer. Okay. And this is so and 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 this is a protocol that was added to the Ethernet because it wanted the Ethernet wanted to carry right. a foreign protocol. It wanted right. to carry IP protocol on top of the the lower level Ethernet protocol. It was kind of a necessary handshake so that you could marry the two. You could put TCP IP over Ethernet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's because it's dynamic because there the, these tables are being built on the fly that it's there's all kinds of ways for bad guys to insert their Mac adapter into other machines ARP tables. And so that's the trick is if the if a bad guy inserts their Mac adapter Mac address into the gateway ARP table for a different IP, then the gateway is none the wiser. It will send packets that are intended for somebody else to the bad guy. And all the bad guy has to do is forward them on to the intended target. And that and, and that target will be none the wiser. And similarly, if the bad guy inserts its MAC address into the target's ARP table for the gateway, then when that when when that machine thinks it's sending packets back to the gateway, it's actually sending them back to the attacker. And the attacker simply forwards those to the gateway. It is, and so that allows an attacker to splice themselves into the conversation. And there's tons of uh, many more due to the history of this in for Unix and Linux machines um, than, for example, for Windows and um, and Mac machines. But um, but there's plenty of software around. Where you can simply bring a laptop to an to an open cafe, and within a few minutes, you are now filtering all the traffic going from that open Wi-Fi hotspot to any of the users in in the cafe. So I mean, this this is real. This is not sci-fi. This is not even difficult. But until now. You really couldn't do anything with it. If they were not using SSL, and this we've talked about this a lot, if they were not using SSL, if they were just logging in to their POP server, then their name, their account name and username are going to be in the clear. You can capture them. If they're surfing the web, you can see all the URLs and all of the data that they're transacting once once you've spliced yourself in. In fact, you really don't even need to use an active attack. You could just passively monitor all the packets if if you just wanted to, you know, suck in all this information. It is it has been believed though that an SSL connection protected you completely from a man in the middle. We now know in some in some circumstances it does not. So here's here's how this happens. A a user initiates a connection to a remote server. After 
somebody has placed themselves in the middle. Now, this doesn't have to be in a cafe with Wi-Fi. It could be in a hotel with a bad employee who's able to go into the, you know, into the closet where the router is and and plug their computer in. In which case, they're able to do this with every employee. I mean, every guest in the hotel who's using the hotel's network. So there are all kinds of of other scenarios than just you know the, the the open Wi-Fi. The idea, though, is you do need to be in the flow, not passively eavesdropping, but but actively able to to intercept traffic. So. A, well, how does that how does that different from just plugging in? Do you say I am actively listening? <laughs> I mean, is there something you do to signal that? Um, well, no, yeah. What what you start doing is you begin listening to our, You listen to the Ethernet traffic, and you you send your own ARP packets, malicious ARP packets. I see. To the various endpoints to confuse them and get them to put you in their tables instead of each right. other. You respond to their ARP requests with your own MAC address. Actively, yes. Yeah. And before you know it, you're spliced into their conversation. So, so then you see the client initiating an SSL connection to a remote server. You know that because it's over port 443, the SSL port. Um, you... Hold that packet for a second. That is, the the attacker holds that packet and sends their own to the remote server, establishing their own SSL connection. Hence the man in the middle. Hence the man in the middle. They, They go through the protocol negotiation, just as I said. So now the attacker has a secure connection to the remote server. Um, at that point, the attacker sends a malicious request to the server. Um, that that is to say, like you know, a a uh, some sort of command that the client hasn't sent, making it malicious. I mean, something that the client never intended. Um, and I'll explain. How that can be formed, and it, I mean, the, these things have been done and proven in the last few weeks. So, the the attacker sends this this command, which is unfinished, to the remote server, and and then sends a new server hello message. So, in one packet. It sends the, the 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 beginning of a command, then sends a server hello message, which which it's able to send at any time. That is part of SSL and TLS is either side can request renegotiation at any time. The server receives the 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 I'm sorry, the client. It sends a client hello message, not a server hello message. So the client, the the malicious guy in the middle, sends a client hello. The server goes, oh. Uh, okay, this guy wants to renegotiate. That's fine. So, so remember that all of this SSL negotiation up until the, the until after the change cipher spec message is in the clear. So the bad guy sends the 
the the client hello message that it had been holding and blocking from the real client. And so that it forwards it to the server and the server believes it is renegotiating the existing connection. Whereas the actual good guy, the innocent client, thinks it's establishing a new connection. So what so what happened was the man in the middle was able to hold the client's hello message briefly and send its own right. negotiate a connection get a secure connection send some stuff to the server then allow the client's hello message to pass through it and all it then does is allow the standard handshake to proceed and essentially knitting the the innocent client's SSL connection to the server. The client doesn't know anything about a previous SSL connection. The server sees it as a renegotiation of an existing one. What happened was, as a consequence of this, the attacker was able to send some stuff ahead using the, well, on, on this little brief sort of a stub of a connection, but over SSL. Now, how is that useful? One of the ways that we see the web is being used is that requests to servers, like standard HTTP GET requests, have these very complex-looking URLs with all kinds of gobbledygook in them. Remember, you know, it, it'll be HTTP, HTTPS, for example, or just colon, slash, slash, and then the domain, then the directory and the, the, the page. Then there'll be a question mark, which starts the parameters. And then you have all these parameters afterwards, which are sophisticated command directions, causing things like PayPal to transfer money, for, for banks to log you in causing, you know, purchases on Amazon and, and, and so forth. So there's all this parameterization in this, this contained in the URL. That's normally protected within the SSL secure wrapper. So it can't be seen by someone eavesdropping. It can't be synthesized by a man in the middle. It's protected. After that, after that, get request are a series of headers things like for example the host header it is required by http 1.1 the current version of http where it says you know www.amazon.com it'll be it'll say this is the host i am uh, trying to to connect to um and then things like time and date and also cookies every one of these header lines ends with a carriage return line feed, and then the next header. Um, CRLF is the abbreviation for carriage return line feed. This, this hails from way back, you know, in the PDP-8 days with a teletype where you, you'd be typing along, and then you, when you come to the end of the line, you send a carriage return character, which moves the, the, the head back to the beginning, the typing head back to the beginning of the of the you know the far left of the paper and then a line feed which rotates the paper's 
Platon up by one line, and then more characters follow. So the end of each line is this character turn line feed, and then the next one. Well, imagine what happens if what the attacker in this scenario sends is a sophisticated command with a URL and all of this extra stuff padded on the end, which the receiving server knows this is a command for it to do something. Then it adds a couple headers. But the last header, it leaves open. It, like, for example, the header is ignore this colon space. And that's where it ends its insertion. It leaves that last header unterminated. Now it, it passes the innocent client's client hello message through. The client establishes an SSL connection. And the client sends its valid get request. It's HTTP get command. Well, because the server, sorry, because the malicious man in the middle left that last header unterminated, what the server sees is ignore this colon space and then the client's request, which oh, wow. look, isn't that cool, Leo? Yeah, yeah. Which looks like just a header, and it is a header of the malicious request, which means the client's actual command is absorbed. But then, here's the good part. The client, because it's got a connection that's secure to a web server it knows, it continues, its its command mm-hmm. follows with other things, including its cookies. Oh, right. We're cool here. I know you. Yeah. Here. We're over a secure connection. Yeah. You've yeah. proven who you are. I've seen your certificate. Here is my cookie authentication for who I am. Wow. So that ends up getting tagged onto the attacker's command, allowing the attacker to perfectly impersonate the client, mm. the, in, the, the innocent client. Because now it has the authentication cookie. That's all it really needed. Exactly. It, exactly. It, because that was a way for, for it to get the, the innocent client to make, to, to make a request at which would, and the client would automatically include its authentication cookies um, that, that it has from dealing with the server in the past. Right allowing the attacker to impersonate the client and the attacker to to do whatever it wants to, whatever it can, given um, its ability to send a command to the server. Wow. So um, it's th- this has got everybody really concerned. Um, and we it seems to- like that was pretty easy. <laughs> I mean, okay, maybe. That's, no, no, that's exactly the point, Leo. <laughs> it seemed like it was kind of simple. It's why it's so, as, as I said, I'm, I'm, after I understood this and I was rereading the, the, the RFCs to, 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 re, to refresh myself on, it's like, okay, wait a minute now. Why is this so easy? Uh, you could, the, the RFCs were written so carefully and so deliberately. And it's like, Ooh, crap. <laughs> so was the oops uh, leaving this hole with a t- line termination? I mean, what was the oops? The, well, the oops was that the 
they were relying on the existing security of the the previous connection continuate allowing the continuation yes they were assuming that the renegotiation would be protected by right. the secure envelope that had already been created there was no provision for carrying forward the security context that had been established as part of the renegotiation. So, and that's what we're going to talk about next is how they have solved the problem. Oh, good. Probably too late for uh, for me, but they've solved well, it. Well, it actually, it, it requ- I mean, the, I, I should say how they will how solve How they hope the to solve. Yeah, yeah, Nobody yeah. has the solution yet. We're all vulnerable to this today. Oh, very interesting. Well, before we do that, can I, uh, can I take a break, give people a chance to... You know, absorb what they've just learned and uh, come up with, uh, a, 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 you know, mental a little mental relaxation. And at the same time, while I'm doing that, remind you to back up. Let's do that, too, with Carbonite.com. Steve and I have talked many times about how the real backup is a off-site backup. You know, it's great to have a local backup on a hard drive. That's nice. It's convenient. But if the worst happens, fire, flood, tornado... It's good to have a backup off-site. And this is especially true if you've got a laptop. I, I've read this stat before. And it doesn't sound possible, um, but it's, it's, from a, it's from a study in, that was published in Computer World. 600,000 laptops are lost or stolen at U.S. airports alone every year. That's like 10,000 plus a week. Every, lost or stolen and only three percent of those are ever recovered so especially if you have a laptop i want you to take a look at carbonite.com since 2006 carbonite has backed up over 25 billion files for people and has restored two billion files for people who would otherwise have lost them completely i don't want that to be you so here's what you do try it free all you have to do is go to carbonite.com and use the offer code twit mac or pc by the way carbonite.com Offer code TWIT. You don't need a credit card. You don't need anything else. You can just sign up. It'll install. And it'll immediately start backing up your irreplaceable files, your financial documents, your pictures, your music. Whatever it is that you can't afford to lose, that's what you're going to get backed up automatically all the time in the background. Now, here's the nice part. You don't have to worry about how much there is. Everything that's on your computer will be backed up unlimited. For less than five dollars a month, it's fifty. I think it's fifty four ninety five a year. But again, free just to try if you use the coupon code TWIT. Now, if you do that, somebody sent me an email saying, "Oh, I, I'm just going to buy this thing." And is there an offer code for buying it? No, you got to do the trial first, and then when you buy, it'll automatically say, "Okay, good." Because you use the offer code TWIT when you did the trial, you're going to get two free months. So that's an additional benefit to people who use our coupon code for the uh, for the free trial. Back up your PC or Mac off site. It does use SSL, but here's the good news. It also uses AES 256-bit encryption on the hard drive. As So so even if there's a flaw in SSL, you're still encrypted as you're flying up to the server. Uh, just remarkable. Just remarkable stuff. This is I talk to people every single day who say, thank goodness I heard you talk about Carbonite. I lost my hard drive. Um, the stuff got stolen. I lost my laptop, but I had Carbonite. I was able to get those files back. Try it right now. Absolutely free. C-A-R-B-O-N-I-T-E. Carbonite.com. It's backup. Done right. Offer code TWIT. It does. It did worry me when you said SSL, you know, is, is flawed. I thought, oh, no, you know. 
<laughs> but at least they have the encryption before it's before it's sent. So, just to recap, they're using they're using ARP. Is is it spoofing? Would that be the word? Not poisoning, but spoofing. Well, it's it's any it's any scenario where you have a man in the middle. So okay. it is definitely possible for someone to insert themselves in the middle on an Ethernet LAN by playing games with ARP. But the presumption is that SSL and TLS provide us with an end-to-end safe channel such that we establish the channel. The, the, and that's one of the cool things about SSL. The, this, this tunnel, this encrypted tunnel comes up first. It's negotiated. Everybody agrees at each end. It comes up, and then everything passing through it is is in this cone of silence. It's it, it's encrypted securely, specifically so that nobody who is monitoring or intercepting can have access. The only thing somebody in the middle can do is deny service. Mm-hmm. They can, but if 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 the packets transit through the the whole point of SSL is that is that there's no way for anyone to mess with you. See, and I always kind of thought of it like a VPN, like it's an encrypted tunnel. But it isn't really a tunnel, is it? Um, well, it's a... Uh, there's, no, there's no encapsulation right. of, of protocol, but right. the packets themselves are... The, the payload of the packets themselves are encrypted within the IP wrapper. So, okay. so, so they look like standard IP packets, but they are encrypted within. The data is encrypted. Correct. Okay. Correct. So, so, so what this does is this is, a, this is a significant and fundamental flaw, which was just someone tripped over. Right. And in fact, I mean, it was, it's bad enough that the major vendors of SSL protocol have met secretly before this became public knowledge and scratched their heads and, you know, said, oh, crap. What are we going to do? <laughs> this is Whoopsies. really bad. Okay, so it turns out the fix is incredibly simple. The TLS, the Transport Layer Security, we've talked about how it and SSL version 3 which was the last version of SSL, how the protocols are virtually identical. That's true, except that TLS added one feature. It added the ability for what's called extensions. Extensions are are a variable list of things which which the client... In the client hello packet, in that initial packet going to the server, the client can say, oh, and by the way, I'm extra special. I know the following extensions. And it can know them and leave them, leave their payload, the actual extension payload empty, if it just wants to assert to the server that it's aware of these things. Because in some cases, the server may may need to know that the client is aware of these extensions um, in order to in order to enable it to use them so an example of a, of a of an extension a very useful one is is one that allows multiple homing over SSL one of the problems with SSL 
is that you're, you're not, with SSL, able to, to have a single IP address host multiple different domains because the, the initial connection and negotiation has to happen before the client is able to send through the tunnel, the, the SSL channel, the, the request containing the host header that tells the server which server it wants. So the certificate negotiation that has the server's name in it is tied to a single IP address. But it's, it, w- with, with, the, with IP starvation... And how nice it would be, for example, to have multiple ho- to m- multiple domains on a single IP. You'd, it'd be nice to have that. So one of the TLS extensions allows a TLS client to provide the server name in the client hello packet. That allows a, a smart server to, to say, oh, this client wants this certificate. So it allows the client essentially to ask for the certificate that it request that it wishes at a single IP address. Well, that's very cool. I mean, that solves a big problem for for SSL. Another example of an extension would be for if you had a really lightweight, really small client, like a, you know, a, a little like a whole system on a chip that doesn't have much buffer space and much memory, it's possible for large SSL packets to get fragmented and it's necessary for the client to have enough buffer space to reassemble the fragments into a full packet. But the client might just not have that much RAM available. So one of the other extensions allows the client to to negotiate with the server a much smaller maximum fragment size to allow the client to not need so much buffer space. So that is cool. And then uh, one, and then finally, I'll give you one last example because it's something we'll all re- understand. The client is able to tell the server what certificate authorities it knows about. Remember that when the server sends its server certificate to the client, that certificate will have been signed by some certificate authority. Well, if the client is able to say, here's the authorities I know about, uh, please give me a certificate signed by one of them, that can, that, that, that can prevent a, a, an SSL negotiation failure as a consequence of, of, the, of the server handing the client a certificate signed by someone it doesn't know or doesn't trust. So those are some some existing extensions. It turns out that all we have to do is add one more, and it is a renegotiation info extension. And all it contains is that finished data from the prior negotiation. So the idea is that, remember that in this attack scenario, the server saw the the real client's client hello message. It saw that as a renegotiation of the existing connection, whereas the client thought it was its initial contact packet. So 
So all we need to do is enhance the protocol. We add a renegotiation info type of extension, which contains the payload from the previous finished message. That finished message is this, basically it's the, I'm proving to you everything which has gone on before we're in agreement on. So if renegotiation requires that extension, which it doesn't today, that's the mistake. Right. The mistake is the renegotiation did not require any security context from the previous secure context. It assumed security because it was in the in the security envelope. But um, but in, in this particular attack, there really wasn't a security envelope. So if we simply change TLS, probably 1.3 to, ver- to version 1.3, we simply change TLS so that renegotiation must have the payload from the previous security context as part of, of the, the hello message, the problem is solved. The, the server who was aware of this would never accept a renegotiation that didn't have that packet from the, the previous security context. And in the scenario we painted, the client wouldn't think it was renegotiating. It wouldn't have any context to share. So the server would deny the renegotiation and drop the connection. Perfect. So to give you a sense for how careful these guys are, I'm going to read from the draft. There's already an internet draft for this fix. I mean, these guys have scrambled in order to like deal with this. Um, and th- this is beautiful because it's th- the language of this gives you a sense for how careful they have always been and just how much of a mistake this was. So this is on, on, under the category of backward compatibility. And here, this is the problem we face now because none of us have TLS 1.3. It doesn't exist yet. We all have 1.2. First of all, it's it's worth saying that SSL version 3 doesn't have any provision for extensions. That was added in TLS version 1.0. So SSL is completely dying at this point. That is, you know... Because you you can't fix it. Exactly. It's not fixable. TLS can be revved, but... SSL can't be so goodbye to SSL. Will will this is this like gives some reason to no longer allow a fallback to SSL? Um, so, so people uh, have been using TLS, not SSL, even though we call it SSL. Exactly. Yes, uh, everybody now has TLS clients and servers at, at each end, and that's the actual protocol we're using because it's got all these extra cool little features. Right. Basically, thanks to these extensions. So under backward compatibility, they say existing implementations which do not support this extension are widely deployed. Yeah, like that's all we have right now. And in general, must interoperate with newer implementations which will support it. This section describes considerations for backward compatible interoperation. Okay, on the client side, client considerations. If a client offers the renegotiation info extension and the server does not respond, 
then this indicates that the server either does not support the extension or is unwilling to use it. Because the above attack looks like a single handshake to the client, the client cannot determine whether the connection is under attack or not. Hmm. If clients wish to ensure that such attacks are impossible, they must terminate the connection immediately upon failure to receive the extension without completing the handshake. Uh Otherwise, they may be performing client authentication and thus potentially authorizing the data already sent by the attacker, even if the client itself sends no data. Note that initially, deployment of this extension will be very sparse, and thus choosing to terminate the connection immediately is likely to result in significant significant interoperability problems. Meaning that, you know, if we told our browsers not to allow TLS without renegotiation protection, <laughs> we couldn't talk to anybody today. And it's going to take a while before we're going to be able to talk to anybody. So it's not practical to enforce that. But these guys are being, this is how careful they're being. On the server side, server considerations. If the client does not offer the renegotiation info extension, then this indicates that the client does not support the extension or is unwilling to use it. Note that TLS does not permit servers to offer unsolicited extensions. And that's generally true of the whole spec. Remember that in all throughout this, I've been saying that the client first makes the offers, the server then chooses from among them. So similarly, if the client doesn't say, I know about renegotiation info extension, then the server does not have permission to use it because it might break the client. Yes. It didn't know about it. Right. So it says, note that TLS does not permit servers to offer unsolicited extensions. However, because the above attack looks like two handshakes to the server, the server can safely continue the connection as long as it does not allow the client to re-handshake. So that's a, that's a significant point. The, the, a server could accept a connection that did not have the renegotiation info extension being offered by the client. It would simply have to flag that connection as non-renegotiable and never allow renegotiation on the fly. Which then also prevents this expo- exploit. Exactly. Right. So it says if does servers, that is there does that break anything else though I mean is that no no that's the beauty of this is that is that right now clients don't often want to renegotiate but it's in the spec so the attackers can use that right right but it's not common for clients to renegotiate oh. the their credentials once they've established it so so a, a nice solution is for all the servers everywhere. To get themselves updated. It's, you know, I was going to say it's easier for the servers to do it, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, hopefully Microsoft will respond next month and we'll all have TLS version 1.3 and you'll hear about it right here on the podcast. Uh, There'll there'll be party streamers and and noisemakers and things going (laughs) off in the background. So, so, uh, you know, and a, and and a, and a crowd of ovation. So, um, so the, so the beauty is that a server that does know about, that has been upgraded, can still accept 
connections from clients that are naive and protect both the client and the server if it simply notices that the client didn't offer it. So renegotiations are disabled for, for this session and do not allow renegotiation. It says, if servers wish to ensure that such attacks are impossible, they must not allow clients who do not offer the renegotiation info extension to renegotiate with them and should respond to such requests with a no renegotiation alert, which has now been uh, described. Servers should follow this behavior. Great. So great. That's the story. So how 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 does that get implemented? Is it uh, do we do a new? Uh, what do we do? Does the extension gets pushed out or? Um, well, for yeah, for all platforms that have any kind of you know built-in updating deal, um, I know that um, the uh, GNU SSL group are up to speed. Uh, Microsoft is involved. In fact, they're one of the co-authors of that paper I was just reading from. So you know, everybody who produces SSL is certainly aware of this and is, is on the ball. And so they will be shortly updating the crypto libs of all the various packages. I mean, uh-huh. you know, we've had our crypto lib updated on, under Windows several right. times already this year. So it'll just happen again, and it'll be now supports TLS version 1.3, and, and servers will be updated to do the same thing, and the problem will be solved. Is there, uh, I guess you could go in, what, the about menu or something you would look in the browser or would you look in the operator it's the browser right that you would look at um or is it the operating I system i would think well no it would be the browser yeah. if you were if you were connecting to a remote to a, a remote system you'd, you'd look under the the connection characteristics and see um if you were using tls 1.3 um, or 1.2. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making it up. 1.3. It might be 2.0. I don't know what they're going to do with. I think it's one. Yeah, right. I think it's 1.0 right now in, in Firefox. I'm just trying to find it. Uh, we're, Could it be that the, old? It, it'd be 1.2 probably. Two, okay. That that that's been the uh, the current spec for some time. Although there's nothing wrong with 1.0. They they just added some more features to it, and they're about to add another big one. And I imagine they'll just take it to 1.3. Right. Right. So that's the story. It's a it's an interesting kind of oops um, that uh, is clever that the designers just didn't consider, um, which uh, we will shortly pretty easily fix. Yay. But uh, it it does offer some interesting opportunities for exploitation. I imagine hackers will run around and have some fun with it uh, before they get shut down. Is there um, anything we can do until then? Um. Uh, really, right? I can't see anything. Um, hopefully, this thing will th- this will get fixed quickly. Um, there's really no protection from man in the middle attacks. I mean, if you were aware of the MAC address of your gateway and there was something that could tell you if that ever changed, that's frankly that's a feature I've already got logged in for CryptoLink. CryptoLink will have built in. Our ARP games detection just to to alert people for it. It's it's on my my bullet list of things to do. But I don't. I'm not aware of any software now that does watch for 
malicious ARP traffic and, and alert you if your gateway changed because that, that would immediately tell you that something was going on. The problem is if you were in, a, in like in an open Wi-Fi hotspot, it might be that the very and likely that the moment you, you got on the air, the attacker was there waiting for your initial broadcast and stuffed its, his MAC address into your ARP table uh, and beat the gateway to doing so. Gateways tend to be underpowered, and you know attacker machines tend to be more powerful, so they they're able to get their packet, you know, to beat the gateway in responding to a broadcast. So, so there you wouldn't see a change. You would, you know, the initial MAC address would just be wrong. On the other hand, if you looked at the MAC address, you might see that it was a uh, like an IBM or a Sony machine. Remember that MAC addresses do contain the manufacturer's ID in them. And so it's like, wait a minute, I don't think I have a Sony gateway. I think someone's, you know, with a Sony computer is is playing games with me. So there are some things you could do, but not easily. So I think we'll just have to hold our breath for a couple of weeks and hope that Microsoft gets this fixed quickly. I hope everybody, I hope everybody in the SSL, or sorry, the TLS community um, will be able to respond quickly. It should. They should be able to. This is, you know, the spec is designed with these extensions in mind. We know they they've done a trivial. I, mean, I can't think of anything cleaner than simply saying use the payload from the finished packet in the renegotiate as the payload for the renegotiation info extension, and you're done. I mean, that's all it needs to be. It's it's such a simple fix. That um, I, I, it ought to be able to be done quickly. Just fantastic! Very good, clear explanation that I, in my limited capacity, even understood. Like I said, this is this is it's I just knew this was going to be a good episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, Steve. Uh, everybody should rush to grc.com not only to get a copy of Spinrite, especially those Yay. of you who've been using it without paying for it. <laughs> it stands for Gibson Research Corporation.com. That's easy to remember. Grc.com. And uh, there's lots of other stuff there. You've seen Shields Up, probably all those free programs Steve's offers, and also 16 kilobit versions of this show, show notes, and transcriptions by Elaine, who is so great. She did a transcription for me uh, on Rush uh, last week, and I just she's just the best. She's just a great, uh, really great transcriptionist. So that's all there at grc.com. Next week, your questions and answers, right? Yep, that's what we're going to do, Leo. So go right now to grc.com slash feedback if you've got a question. Somebody in the chat room is saying, well, IPsec allows renegotiation. This is apply to IPsec. We'll find good out. Question for next That's week. a good question for next week. Go to uh, grc.com slash feedback and leave your question. Steve, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Leo. Security now.